You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. Before we get started, I want to invite you to a free workshop that I'm hosting very soon. This workshop is all about three secrets for success in the elementary music classroom. And to reserve your spot for free, you can head to thatmusicteacher.com secrets. In this workshop, you'll learn how to create a positive classroom environment, where to find high-quality resources and repertoire, how to easily include assessment in your lessons, and most importantly, where to find more support in the elementary music classroom. Again, to reserve your spot for this free workshop, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com secrets. So this episode is mainly for those that are just about to start student teaching, or maybe you're in the middle of student teaching yourself. But even if you are not currently student teaching, I think that there's information that you can gather from this lesson and from this podcast today, because today we're going to be talking about some of the things that nobody tells you about being a student teacher, because there was, when I think back to my student teaching experience, there is so much that no one really told me, and I just kind of happened upon it on my own. For instance, no one tells you that when you're student teaching, you are literally juggling everything. You are juggling being a full-time student, being a full-time teacher, being, you know, finishing up senior year, trying to hang out with your friends for the last time that you're going to be living next door to them for, you know, ever. And it's it's wild because there's so much that we have to explore and and deal with and just go go through all at once. And sometimes it can be really surprising. So I want to give you a little bit of backstory about my own student teaching experience. Like a lot of us, I did a lot of work, especially during like junior year, um, with um, working in the classrooms before I had my full-time student teaching placement. So my junior year, I did my first placement was teaching elementary music, uh, primary, primarily kindergarten, second grade. Um, absolutely loved it, but I was still a full-time student. You know, I was still taking an entire class load. That was part of my elementary methods class. I then took a secondary methods class my senior year for semester, and I was able to work um, one period a day, first period every day, got off early in the morning with seventh grade choir. And it it was a lot, and I learned a lot from it. Uh, but what was really cool is I was able to go right in from teaching that secondary methods placement right into full-time student teaching um, at the 7th and 8th grade school. So that one 7th and 8th grade class, that one period, I was able to work with them pretty much like a long time. <laughs> like I was able to work with them for like three quarters of the year. What was nice about it is because I was able to really build those relationships, which I don't want to get us ahead of myself, but one of the things that people don't tell you about being a music teacher or being, being a student teacher is how quickly you have to build relationships. Um, so we'll get more into that in a second. But so after my, after I did my seventh and eighth grade choral placement, I started a placement um, teaching elementary music full time. 
And I've talked about it before a little bit on the podcast and on Instagram, um, but I had a really rough senior year when it comes to mental health. Uh, and unfortunately, when I was doing my um, final student teaching placement, um, the second quarter um, with elementary music, I just kind of, I met my limit. Um, I was forced to stop and I needed to stop. And thankfully I listened to my body and was like, hey, we need to not do this. Um, and I actually ended up stopping student teaching and finished my student teaching um, at a different elementary school um, the first some, the first quarter of the the following year. So it was a little bit untraditional, but still really good information, still learned a lot, still was able to take a lot with me now that I'm in the classroom. So let's go and talk about that first point I was talking about, which is relationships when you're student teaching. Especially, if, this is important for everyone, obviously, but music student teachers, um, especially if your situation's like mine, where it's a split placement, so you're not at one placement the entire time, you have to build relationships quick because you only have like eight or nine weeks at the one placement. And there's not much time to kind of, you know, build, observe a lot, and then, you know, phase in and phase out. It's basically like, hey, you're going to observe me for a week, and then it's like yours. <laughs> like, we are going to jump in, and you you would jump in quick. Um, again, all this depends on your school's requirements and your, student, your uh, cooperating teacher, but so much of what has to happen is you have to build relationships, get up to speed really quickly. Um, and that's something like in my instance are, you know, there were only four music ed student teachers, uh, which was like a huge class for the time. Um, and so all of our stuff was, was in going through the education department. So a lot of the information that we were getting was like education department specific stuff. So it was like, all right, you're going to observe for three weeks and then you're going to teach like half load for two weeks. And that just doesn't work when you only have an eight or nine week placement. So things go really quick. Things Things go really, really quick. Things go so quick. <laughs> but it's great at the same time. So talking about those relationships, um, it's really hard to build those relationships so quickly, especially when you're coming in um, and kind of working under the uh, under a cooperating teacher who's created the classroom culture. They've created the the um, the procedures and the expectations and things like that. Um, it's kind of hard to build that quickly and to build that relationships up, especially if you're a new teacher, which most of us are when we're student teaching because we're, we're new to this. That's the whole point of student teaching. Uh, so my recommendation, so if you're sitting here saying, all right, Bryson, you're talking about how this is frustrating and how this is something no one told you, but like, what do we do about it? My first thought would be to learn names as soon as possible, like as soon as possible. Even if it's like, hey, I know in the general area of where you are, and then looking down at a seating chart that has like a name to face and be like, all right, now I'm able to call you by name. It's so much more powerful to be able to call someone by their name rather than to be like, hey, you, Alto, or hey, second grader, you know, come over here. Because those those names matter, building those relationships by knowing names is such a a simple thing. And I don't mean that in a way if it's easy, but it's, it's just simple. To, there are some simple choices that you can make to allow your students to respect you, to get to understand you and get to know you so that you're able to move quickly, which is what's needed for our student teaching. Something else that nobody told me about student teaching, or maybe they did and I was just too irritating and full of senioritis to realize it is when you're student teaching, you are in a weird in-between place. You are not really a college student. You're not really a full-time teacher. You're kind of in this in-between. So I, I got in a lot of, of arguments and, and, and tiffs with, with my friends who weren't student teaching at the time because they, they were kind of confused. They're like, hey, Bryson, you know, we have... 
so we have another two couple months where we're going to be able to live in close proximity because, you know, that's one of the cool things about college, for better or for worse. You get to be surrounded by your friends. And they're like, hey, we, you know, we need to we need to take this time and make sure that we're spending time with each other and things like that. And I found it really hard because I was getting, I had to be at school at 7 (laughs) a.m. Like I can't stay up until midnight when I have to be at work at 7 a.m. And basically like the, the, the requirements that were being asked of me as a college student and the requirements that were being asked of me as a student teacher, they didn't really gel together. And it took me a long time to, to figure out that balance um, or at least to, to get over it enough to, <laughs> to survive because it took me a long time to realize that I couldn't have it both ways. I couldn't stay up until midnight and then be up at 7 a.m. and have a good lesson. It wouldn't work. You know, I did one all I did one all nighter where I studied for something, and then I taught the next morning, and it was awful. It was awful. I don't recommend it. Do not do it if you have any choice. But I had to realize that I had to transition out of the full college mindset much quicker than someone who wasn't necessarily student teaching, because I had one foot in that professional door. And then on the other spec, you know, aspect of it, I wasn't a full teacher. Obviously, I wasn't getting paid. I was still a broke college kid. I was still figuring out what to do, you know, figuring out all the the school, you know, politics and, and how things work and how to get through and how to how to leave work at work and it, and it, it just everything spirals in a way that can be so overwhelming. So I'm here to tell you that if you're student teaching or if you will student teach at some point or even if you're like, "Hey, let's just listen to this even though I'm done with student teaching." That is a normal thing to happen. It stinks sometimes, but it's part of the process of going from that pre-service teacher to that student teacher to that teacher role. It's kind of like a little bit like a metamorphosis, right? It's going to stink a little bit. (laughs) You might be stuck in a cocoon for a little bit, but eventually on the other side, it's going to work out. So this next tip, I'm pretty sure people told me, and I was just too bull and brazen and just didn't didn't really think about it but student teaching is some of the most important networking you will do in your life a lot of education majors we don't get the networking spiel like you might if you you were like a business major but there is something to be said about having connections in the education world for instance if there's an open position where you're student teaching that's probably a good time to have your foot in the door start talking to the people talking to the principals saying hey like when are you going to be posting this what are you looking for you know but not only to to get a job but just to understand what is required say like hey do i want this job what are the you know does this does this job line up with my values or hey you know i have uh, I mean, there are people that I run into at OMEA or things like that, that I did student teaching observations with. Um, some of the people I love to hang out with <laughs> are the people that I did my, my, are my cooperating teachers. And it really, it's, it's wonderful, wonderful networking just in like knowing people in the music field. But it's also super helpful for when you get in that classroom setting. I have texted my cooperating teachers or like my professors or people that I've observed like, hey, what what do you do in this situation? What do you have recommendations? Or like um, right now I'm in my master's program um, and working on my code I levels. And one of my former cooperating teachers did her master's in code I. So it's like, hey, I'm looking for this song. Do you know where I can find it? And she was able to help me. And like it's just super important having that networking um, and to be able to understand 
that the music education world, especially if you went to a small school like me, the music education world can be really small. Um, and it's important to kind of put those feelers out there, make those connections, especially when you're about to go into what my next point is, active job search. One of the things that I didn't really get have to deal with much um, because of when I graduated and when I finished my student teaching was actively student teaching and actively job searching at the same time. Because, like I said earlier or, um, in previous podcasts and, and on Instagram and all that, um, I spent most of my first year out of college working as um, a one-on-one aide for students with disabilities. So I wasn't really... You know, if I had it, was it was a kind of a substitute basis, even though it was every day. So if I had to take a day off, I just took a day off. Um, but when you are interviewing, or when you're a student teaching and you get offered an interview, you're going to take it. And there's so much balance of having to balance. Hey, am I going to be my hours? Do I get this? How do I get this approved through my school? How do I get this approved through my um, cooperating teacher? How do I ever know? How do I make all these all these things work? Um, especially if there's travel involved. And it's a lot. And I just want you to realize that if you're going into student teaching or if you are going into um, job searches, it can be really discouraging. And there's a lot of time where you have to keep a lot of plates spinning. But the goal (laughs) is that at the end of all this craziness, you have a position you feel proud about. You have something lined up for the next school year. Um, Like I have some friends that, that they were able to graduate college with a job lined up, with a contract signed. And that is a wonderful thing that I I think would be amazing. Obviously, I did not have that experience, um, but I think that would be such a weight off your shoulders to not have to spend the summer like I did doing, spending the entire summer looking for jobs and looking for, you know, you know, interviewing all over the state is what I did. And so being able to have something lined up would be super important. So again, use that networking, talk to your cooperating teacher, talk to your schools before anything happens so that you know if, hey, if I get an interview, what is the procedure? What what do I need to do so that I can still fulfill my student teaching requirements, but also potentially get hired? So I know that I've talked about this type of of topic before. But when I sat down to create the calendar for this season, I I really I felt strongly about this episode because, you know, I'm a few years in. There's been a, it's been a while, a few years, and I I knew that I'd have some new thoughts. And one of those new thoughts that I didn't quite understand at the time is that when you were student teaching, you are truly in an experiment. You are finding who you are as a teacher. You're finding if the students res- you know, respond to that or not. You're truly forming who you are as an educator. And when I, when I look back at my student teaching experiences, I think a lot about how much I've grown, but also how much of a foundation was set because of the successes and the failures that happened while I was student teaching. So I guess my advice is to, you know, to take that into practical advice would be to take a moment and try to slow down. I'm very guilty of always wanting to go to the next thing. And I like to plan everything and I I very rarely enjoy the moment. And there's, there are very, there are very few times that I actively say, I wish I would have slowed down and enjoyed it more. But one of those is student teaching because 
I truly believe even when I was at my seven, eight placement and it was hard and I didn't have the piano chops, they were some of the best days of my life. And it's really weird to say that because it makes me feel old <laughs> because, you know, they're, they're some of the best days of my life. Some of my best lessons, some of my most inspiring moments, some, some moments that stick with me. I can see exactly where the students are, where I was, how I felt, how the students were engaging, how the students were reacting. And they've changed me so much as an educator and as a person that I urge everyone to slow down so you don't miss those moments and you don't lose those moments and that you can take those because those are the moments that have gotten me through these past couple years when things have been really bad and when you know I'm at home scrolling through LinkedIn looking for a new job deciding I'm going to leave teaching forever or well maybe I'll do this those moments of student teaching and you know, me finally getting to do what I've been training to do for years, those are the moments that remind me why I do what I do. If you found this episode helpful at all, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful, it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast. To check out the show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash show notes.